Uh, it's so nice to be back with you. I've been breathing badly. I walked to Turnham Green this morning and was struggling to breathe there. I walked over here struggling to breathe there. Um, but it's very much a parable of the Christian life, isn't it? It's quite hard to keep breathing sometimes as you try and walk out with God. It's not easy to keep walking faithfully and right with him. And uh, today, to help with the sermon, we've got two of our marvellous members of the New Wine Art Tent team over there. So I don't know if you can see them, but we've got Christine Smith and Dee Carpenter. Give us a wave. And uh, just in case you get absolutely nothing out of what I'm saying today, they're going to put into pictures uh, a thousand words or two um, of something from the Lord to inspire you. Um, but there's no pressure. Should we just release them? There's no pressure. It doesn't have to be a masterpiece. But it's an aid memoir for the end of the service to help us uh, get something out of the book of Proverbs today. Um, did I pray already? No, we're, we're slipping, aren't we? Let's, let's pray. Let's pray. <laughs> I'm glad someone knew that, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's, that's a good level of attention. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. And thank you for your love. But we thank you also for the invitation to fear you and to have discipline and wisdom. And we pray today that you impart the love of that to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, who knows what book we were studying for the last three weeks? Zephaniah. I don't know if I should tell this story, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, last night, I was on a phone call to Mike Tufnell, who some of you will remember as uh, one of our associate vicars, and he was like, Nicholas's sermon on Zechariah 1 was so amazing. I was like, Zachariah, which, which year was that from, Mike? Uh, anyway, it turns out he was listening to the sermon from three weeks ago, uh, Zephaniah uh, 1, but it was an amazing sermon, so thank you, uh, Nicola. Um, but do you remember how it felt listening to sermons on Zephaniah for the last three weeks? It basically backed you into a corner, didn't it? The same as the book of Romans, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter if you were outside the people of God or inside the people of God. Zephaniah was telling it you like it is. And it was like, you need God. There's a gap between you and God. It's a chasm that no one can cross on their own. It's massive. And you can't get there with a little bit of help from your friends. You can't get there with a bit of religion. You need a divine miracle to get to God. And that's what we've been singing about, isn't it? The precious blood of Jesus that speaks a better word over us. The better word is the miracle we need to cross that massive gap between us and God. And my first picture for this week comes from the end of Zephaniah with that amazing verse that we finished with, which is probably the only verse of Zephaniah you'd ever heard of before we did the series. Which verse is that? Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17, which says that the Lord rejoices over you with gladness. This is the ESV version. Rejoices over you with gladness, like the prodigal father welcomed home his son. It ran towards him while he was still a long way off. That's the sort of father God that you've got, even when you're more wicked than you thought you were. He rejoices over you with, no, with gladness. We haven't got to that bit yet. With gladness, that's number one. Okay, let's try that. He rejoices over you with gladness. And then it says, he quietens you with his love. Isn't that a gorgeous image? It's that sort of he hugs you until you're not sobbing anymore. 
He just draws you near and makes it all right again. How many of us want someone like that in our lives? How many of us have been looking for that this last couple of years or so? Someone to quieten us with love. The great role of a great father, to quieten you with love, to draw you in. And then, Fiona, it says that he rejoices over you with singing, which is the sort of singing of, hey, Gareth Southgate, until it got to the penalty shootout. <laughs> it's that sort of thing where he announces you and goes, yes, you're my girl, you're my man. He rejoices over you with singing. In fact, he rejoices publicly over you in singing. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? That is the God, the image that we had of God last week. And you sort of get to the point, you think, well, it doesn't really matter about Zephaniah 1, 2 in the first half of chapter 3. The fact that I'm more wicked than I ever imagined because I'm more loved than I ever dreamed. And because I'm so loved, phew. But then you have to sort of think, well, but what does God then want for me? Have you ever played the yo-yo game, you know, where it goes up and down, up and down? If you're from any age before, personal computers were a thing in the playground. Probably yo-yo was a favorite game. They gave them away with Coca-Cola when I was at school. You could get a yo-yo and do tricks on it. But many of us do the Christian life like a yo-yo, don't we? I've fallen. Oh, his grace. I've fallen. Oh, his grace. I've fallen. Oh, his grace. And our life is like up and down and up and down like a yo-yo roller coaster. And we're like, oh. And you just suddenly think, I wonder if that's how God intended me to live the Christian life. (laughs) I wonder if that's the wise way to live out the Christian life. It's such a temptation, isn't it, when his grace is so marvellous to assume that the very best thing we can do is sin a whole load so that his grace can abound even more. That's what Paul asks in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Shall I carry on sinning then so that grace can abound? Because actually his grace is a bit addictive. Have you had that lovely experience of feeling forgiven and restored and drawn back in? It's amazing. It's intoxicating. I, I, I sort of lived off it in my first years as a Christian. It's like, oh, I'm free. 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 And sometimes I get myself all wound up so I could have another conversion experience. Because <laughs> I wanted to be reconverted. Any one of you who's ever gone, I wonder if I could get baptized again. <laughs> Yeah, you done that? I just thought I'd like to I'd like to do it all over again, please. Check, please, start again. But the wisdom of Proverbs is that actually God's best for us is to live the way that the best God wants us to live. To be the king's subjects in the king's countries doing things the king's way. It's called the kingdom of God. And that's the way it's best for us. Have a look at Proverbs chapter one what it promises, and then we'll see the trick, if you like, to getting all of these glorious promises. This is the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, uh, king of Israel, for gaining, and here's a list of things that we don't have in excess in our society. It's got all the knowledge in the world in our society, all the information in the world anyway, but look what it offers you. You can gain wisdom and instruction, understanding words of insight, Receiving instruction in prudent behavior. Doing what's right and just and fair. Giving prudence to those who are simple. Knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the saying and riddles of the wise. Instruction, insight, prudence, living right and just and fair. 
discretion. All these great things at your fingertips if you follow this book of Proverbs. And you think, well, who's writing this book of Proverbs? And um, I, I thought I would dwell in it last night. I was driving back from Somerset, from the Soma offices, with a carload of stuff uh, that I've got to somehow store here in London in a, in a new sort of Soma setup. And I thought, God, I'm preaching on Proverbs tomorrow. I'll put it on while I'm driving. So for a couple of hours, I listened on the Bible Gateway app to the book of Proverbs. I just listened again and again. And the first thing that struck me is it's a father writing to his son, offering wisdom and instruction and all these things. And you sort of think, I wonder in our age how many people can say that they've got that sort of relationship where a father might speak over them with wisdom and knowledge and discretion to help them live the right way. And I imagine it's probably very few people. In fact, as I was, I was listening later on to people discussing their relationships with their fathers in another scenario, I realized that time and time again, people were identifying the failings in their father-child relationship. So here's a book of 31 chapters of father-to-son wisdom. The second thing you notice, though, is that the guy who's writing it is quite a flawed person. He's King Solomon. He's very, very wise, but he's made a load of mistakes in his life as well. He's, you know, he's been on the yo-yo run himself down the years, and yet he's still managed to suck wisdom out of life that he can offer on. It's not that he's always been perfect, the guy writing it, but he's managed through his failings and mistakes to, to bring wisdom. And I wonder if for some of us we need to let go of the bad in some of the relationships where people could mentor us and uh, suck out the good things as well. If you had a dad like Solomon, he had a few hundred wives and many hundred concubines, you might have some issues with him growing up. I think I would have had issues with him. His son, who became the king, Rehoboam, turned out to be useless. He split the kingdom almost immediately. Didn't take advice from the old wise people. He only took advice from his young friends and ruined the kingdom of Israel almost straight away. So you might look at Solomon and go, yeah, you've got some wisdom, but your life sucks, so I'm not going to listen to you at all. And if you did that, you'd have chucked out the baby with the rather murky bathwater. I wonder if for some of us we need to remember that as we look at Proverbs and look at the elders around us in the church, in our family structure, in our neighborhoods, and go, actually, there is something I could learn from you. If I humbled myself and stood on your shoulders, whatever issues I might have with you, I might go a long way. Do you know one of the Ten Commandments, probably one of the the more challenging ones in our culture, in other cultures around the world, not so challenging, but in our culture, very challenging. Honor your mother and father so that it may go well with you and you may live a long time in the land which I am giving you. Tough commandment to live out, maybe, but an important one. Let's uh, receive what's good from the generations who've gone before us, even if they're as flawed as Solomon may have been. There's wisdom to be learned through the generations. And the biggest bit of wisdom that kicks in through the book, you hear it again and again, if you just tune in and listen to it on your way to uh, whichever um, holiday destination you might be privileged to go to, or just moping around the house this summer, or doing the washing or the cleaning, have a listen to this online. Uh, the thing that comes back again and again 
is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom, but there's also a category of people called fools who despise wisdom and instruction. So there's a group of people in Proverbs who fear the Lord and they begin to get great knowledge and wisdom, but there's other people, fools or sluggards or drunkards or adulterers and a few other labels besides who veer off the path. You see, the first image we had today was Zephaniah 3.17, remember? And it was that lovely image of the Father welcoming us home with gladness and who quietened us with his and who rejoiced over us with public singing to people. And when you've received the love of such a father and you've been drawn in and he's proclaimed you're right, it's easy to start to believe that you never had a problem in the first place. Do you remember the story of the people of Israel through the Old Testament? Particularly seen in, say, the book of Judges, for example. They get in a complete mess. They do the yo-yo thing. They get right down here. And then God sends along a hero character and the yo-yo springs back again. But before you know it, they're down here again and they need Deborah to come and help them or they need Gideon to come and help them or Samson, when they're really desperate, to come and help them. And they yo-yo around. And what happens is that as soon as God saved them, they forget that they needed rescuing. They just think, oh yeah, I'm all right then. But Proverbs says you need to walk in the fear of the Lord. So what, what does that mean? Because it's not a very marketable phrase, is it? You know, if I persuaded uh, the PCC that we should put it on the board at the front of church or the banner of the website, a community of people who fear the Lord. You know, we might not see that as the best branding for our contemporary society. And yet it would be an awesome thing to say about a church. It might even be the best thing you could say about a church, that they live in the fear of the Lord. Because it's not the sort of fear that's about anxiety. Uh, like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to still be here. It's, a, it's, a, it's got a security to it. Because you know that you're, he's the daddy and you're his. It's not the sort that brings panic, like a, a sort of horror film that makes you go, whoa, like that, in, in the night. The fear of God is that other side of being forgiven. You know when you've done something wrong and you can't quite bring yourself to look the person you've done wrong to in the eyes? And then you do. And you both get forgiven. But you also realise the mess. It's a fear of the Lord who loves you but isn't to be trifled with. Maybe the best image in, in literature that we know is Aslan, the lion who's not a safe lion. Yeah, you can nuzzle up to him if uh, you're Lucy or Susan on a bad day and he lets you, but he's also got the sort of claws that will rip away at Eustace's sin. And Jesus is not a safe God. He's not your boyfriend or girlfriend. He's not your just nice cuddle in the dark to make you feel a bit better about yourself. He's not your $3 God, so you just put in coins into a vending machine and get a drink that makes you feel a bit better every now and then when you need it. He wants to be Lord. He wants to be boss. He wants to be in charge. And if you want to walk with him, you need to have a right awe of him, a fear of him, a trembling before him. 
Paul says in Philippians, this is New Testament stuff, he says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Because God's for you, because he loves you. That's Philippians 2, 12, 13. Have a look at how it works out. Work it out in fear and trembling. Why? Because as Jesus said, if you walk along, let's do this, if you walk along the narrow road, that's the way that leads to life. But broad's the path that leads to distractions. There's so many distractions. There's so many things. You may go, I want to go off over here. So easy, isn't it, to slip off the Christian life. And sometimes it feels like it's all right, you know. I'm just, I'm walking along. And you start looking around. And a bit like the guy trying to plow where he's not got his eyes on the prize, you, you slipped off. So easy, isn't it, to just, just veer off. And then it feels more like a tightrope sometimes. You just like, where are you, God? Why is it so hard? But he says it's possible. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, it's possible to keep going. Keep going. But you've got to have a fear of the Lord. You can't assume you're all right just because you got saved. You have to walk in the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you're like, well, but I like the yo-yo life. I've been doing it for decades now. I like it. It's quite addictive. I like having my freedom. I like the fact that he forgives me. Why don't I just keep doing that? And then when I get to the end of my life, when I've had my fun, when I've done my stuff, when I've had this fulfillment or that fulfillment or this thing that I think is necessary for me, then I'll come back to him when it won't cost me anything. Why is that not a better way to live? And the answer that you'll get again and again in Proverbs is that's the fool's way. Because it doesn't take into account one super key thing. The God who you're supposed to fear in reverent awe is also the one who made you. And he's for you, but he made you. And he made you with a way of being which was best for you. And if you walk in step with him... It's actually the best thing that you could possibly do for you. It's the most fulfilling thing for you. It's more fulfilling than that thing you're looking at there or this thing you're looking at here. It's the best thing for you if you keep in step with him. You say, but it's tough. I want this. I want that. I want it all. And I want it now. If you're old enough to know that song. (laughs) I want it now. And he says, but wait patiently for the Lord. Keep in step with the Spirit. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open for you. Everyone who seeks will find. Until now, you don't have the desires of your heart. Ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. Seek the Lord and you'll find him. As Proverbs 3 puts it, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, each and every single little one of your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Commit your ways to the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Friends, Proverbs is an amazing book. Kind of a weird book. You start listening to it in one go. Uh, You hit a bunch of chapters where you're like, better stay faithful. (laughs) You hit some where you're like, whew. That's a challenge to my drinking habits. You hit some, that's that's a challenge to my laziness habits. You hit other bits, you're like, whoa, that's pretty inspiring. 
hit a few things, you go, I'm not sure that's quite culturally appropriate anymore. You know, hitting a sluggard with a rod, that doesn't feel like, you know, the sort of thing that would make it past the HSE executive on, uh, on workplace practices today. Uh, that, that, that's sort of out now, isn't it? Um, so there's a few things you have to sort of interpret within the culture we're in. But it will do you good and refresh you to remember especially that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. And if you choose to say your way, you'll ultimately never regret it, even if it costs you things that you think you want right now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, because you love us so much and are so kind and generous to us and gracious to us, it makes it really easy for us to presume that we can do whatever we like and it won't hurt you and you won't mind. And it won't hurt us either and we won't mind. But actually the truth is we were made to live your way and with you, in step with you. So I pray right now that you will free us, each and every one of us in this room, from any lies that have begun to bind us, any half-truths or untruths that we've sought after, anything that's foolishness, not wisdom. Pray that a right fear of the Lord will fall on us as a church community, both here today and scattered around the country and world. And that we'll be a community of incredible wisdom and knowledge as a result. Fall on us, Spirit of the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's so good to be with you today. It's an exciting week coming up. Um, you know, the new wine conference is, is coming up, and uh, we're going to be broadcasting it uh, over at Turnham Green in the evenings, uh, 7 o'clock, quarter to 7, be there for 7. You can bring food with you. Uh, join in with the worship and the words. Uh, the Sunday services, we're going to be playing the video uh, sermon from New Wine, so there'll be a sense of that, but with our live bands uh, here as well at the usual times. Um, and you can engage with even more uh, through the New Wine uh, app that's all on the email Nicola sent out. So uh, great season that we're walking into and a great season in Proverbs. Let's, let's go deeper this summer. Some people... Uh, because it's 31 chapters, they take a month and they read one chapter a day of Proverbs. Some people do that every month of the year, actually. They just keep refreshing themselves with it. But even if it's just daisy-picking through it, let God's Word uh, adjust you over the next few days uh, in light with God's power and glory. Amen.